This episode of Talking Home Renovations is supported by NCARB, National Council of Architectural Registration Boards. You are listening to Talking Home Renovations with a House Maven. Is it time to renovate your house, but you're worried that you don't really know what you're doing? This is an educational and entertaining podcast that will ease your fears. Or maybe you just love hearing about home renovations like I do. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect. I practice in Eastern Massachusetts. On the show, I interview other architects, vendors, contractors, and homeowners to gather tips and stories about home renovations, learn about materials, systems, sustainable practices, what to expect, what to avoid, and how to make the most of the money that you'll spend on your renovation. Before we get into the episode, I just want to share with you that this episode is secretly my 100th episode. I know it only says episode 94 on the label, but I, first season for some reason, I didn't, I didn't number six of my episodes. So technically this is my hundredth episode. When I have episode 100 in a few weeks, six weeks, I will have a little celebration of some sort, but I just wanted to let you in on that little secret. Anyway, this episode is about kitchens, about curated kitchens. My guest this week is Karen Swanson, who's the owner and head designer at New England Design Works, and that's an interiors firm specializing in kitchens and baths. So they have won many awards. They work in the greater Boston area and beyond. And I was very lucky to have Karen on the show. Here's our conversation. I'm wondering what homeowners need to know if they're planning a kitchen renovation. So I'll just go through how I typically approach a project. I'll get a call from someone asking how does the process work and usually what I'll do is set up a meeting to go and take a look. There's usually some interface between what they might want to do and what the budget is. Yeah, I'll say. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so um, because obviously anything can be done at a cost Mm. but if there's if there's a particular budget that they want to stay within, it's usually good to start with that. And some of the things that will affect the budget, of course, you know this as an architect, are moving door openings, moving window openings, adding new windows, any any sort of structural changes like that, um, or anything that, like an addition, um, even if it's a small addition, that's that's going to be a you know a good sized number um, mm-hmm. to the budget. So if people are trying to stay within a budget and the existing window and door openings are okay, that's usually, you know, it, it, it's basically remodeling um, versus renovating, hmm. um, like a, a refresh. Yeah. Um, and that would be, you know, a better number. But a lot of the times the projects that I do, things are moving and what I do generally try to do is is to get more natural light into a space that seems to be something that really affects people's um emotionally you know Mm -hmm. like it feels just it feels really good to be in a bright open space yeah um and so if i can get like a larger bank of windows in there um if we can create openings from other rooms that they don't have to be sort of that 
from 10 years ago, everything's wide open because mm-hmm. it does feel like that's going in the other direction that people want, you know, more of a delineated space yeah. versus, versus like the huge open floor plans. So generally what I would do is, is give my ideas. And then if people hire me, I'd take a, a design retainer. I'd draw floor plan options just to let them know what's possible. And a lot of that next phase is interfacing with appliance choices. Yeah. Um, so the, the room is essentially built around window and door openings as well as the appliances. Mm-hmm. I've been using quite a lot of column refrigerators lately as a way of getting a smaller box. Hmm. If you're using a fridge-freezer combo, um, that's probably at least a 36-inch right. refrigerator. But in a column, you'd get quite a bit more cubic capacity in a 30-inch column fridge. And then we'll put a freezer, like a pair of freezer drawers someplace else. Um, so then instead of having a 36-inch by 24-inch deep refrigerator, it's 30 inches. And so that extra six inches, in my opinion, makes a difference in sort of lightening things up and not having like big, heavy objects um, that fill a space. Right. What's the what's the cost difference between, you know, a, a standard, let's say, counter depth 36 inch. So it's not the less, least expensive refrigerator you can buy. And then a column with the drawers. I mean, because in my mind, I'm just assuming it's a lot more. And so is it actually really that much more expensive? It is. I would say just to back up a, a bit, there are three different types of refrigerators. There's freestanding, built in and integrated. A freestanding refrigerator is something that you'd be able to get in the maybe two to $3,000 range. Mm-hmm. And there are wonderful options by Bosch, Fisher Paykel, KitchenAid. Um, there's a lot of different brands that make freestanding refrigerators. Generally, if I'm using a freestanding refrigerator, I'm trying to find something that the doors are less bulky because the, in a freestanding refrigerator, you can get standard depth or counter depth unless you have a way of hiding a standard depth refrigerator, like maybe framing into another room to hide some of the bulk of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say we're probably talking about using a counter depth refrigerator. Yeah. So in that situation, the box itself is 24 inches deep. But the doors, if they're doors that have, like when you open up the doors on the inside, if they have those storage bins on the door, mm-hmm. In order to accommodate for that, those doors are pretty thick. Some of those doors can be three to three and a half inches thick. Um, So that's on top of the 24-inch depth. So now we're at 27, and then you put the handle on it, you're at 30, sometimes 32 inches into the room when it's all said and done. And I also, what I do is I look at the specification for the refrigerator some of them will require an inch airspace behind it for ventilation, mm. or they'll require um, a sizable airspace to the right and left of it. Yeah. I tend toward the brands that don't require as much additional inches for ventilation, just so that we can get it sort of as built in feeling as, as possible. And from that standpoint, you know, there are specific refrigerators that I've found that feel a little bit more less bulky, I guess to say. 
and I don't know if you want me to mention brands or whatnot, but um, well, I don't know. Should we give them a free plug? I don't know. Maybe they should sponsor my show. <laughs> yeah, they, maybe they should. <laughs> maybe so. I do. I do really like the Fisher Paykel models that I've seen. Um, it's it's a nice brand, and it's everything that they do is a little less bulky. And then the same, I would say for Bosch. Those those are nice refrigerators that can be a little bit less, you know, obtrusive into a room. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that's a that's a freestanding refrigerator. And within that, there's counter depth and standard depth. And then I mentioned there's also two other types, a built-in and an integrated. Mm-hmm. So integrated is where the doors of the refrigerator are completely flush with the cabinets and with the panels. Mm. So it's probably the one where you can make it hide away the most. And those would typically be a brand like a Thermador or a Sub-Zero, a Miela, a little bit of the higher, higher price brands. Yeah. A built-in is similar to that, but it has like a, a flange that overlays the cabinet. And so they do project into the room a bit more. Hmm. Because integrated refrigerators are so popular, um, since they can be flush with the cabinets, what the manufacturers now do is they provide a specification to make a built-in look integrated. And if you look at the specification for it, it would be called a um, flush install. Okay. So you can flush install a built-in, but it's going to require more width and more depth. Um, So if you're really trying to make a refrigerator kind of go away and be as least bulky as possible integrated is the way to go Mm -hmm. in terms of your question from earlier what are the cost differences those refrigerators an integrated refrigerator is not for the faint of heart Mm -hmm. um probably anywhere depending on the size like for instance a 30 inch column fridge is probably like nine thousand dollars and then the freezer drawers would be like an additional four to five thousand dollars okay um so it's i mean it's something that people generally do if it's their forever home um a lot of the a lot of the projects that i'm working on are, are homes that people aren't flipping it's not like a quick renovation it's you know, people want to stay there for a good while. And so they, they are kind of investing in these appliances. Yeah. It does raise the overall budget, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're trying to get more wall space or more for windows or for natural light, the smaller you can make the other elements, the better. And, and I have found that one way is to be able to do the column refrigeration. A third, you could also do an integrated refrigerator with the fridge freezer all in one. Um, depending on the size of the family, you could do that in a 30, 30 inches. Um, I think some people feel like it's not enough refrigeration or freezer space. But there again, if it's, you know, an empty nester couple um, or, you know, young urban single person, that's, pro- you know, could be enough. It really depends on people's shopping habits and, you know, the size of the family and what kind of things that they're they're looking for. Okay. Well, that's quite a range. It is quite a range. And I would say that's part of the 
if you'd call it like the interviewing process in the beginning, mm-hmm. like when I'm working with people, so much of it is individual to their life and their, you know, storage needs, shopping habits, entertaining, you know, whether they entertain a lot or whether they have children, how many children. Sometimes people have children or adults in the family with a gluten allergy and they need more freezer space, for instance. Yeah. Or they might work full time and only really have time to go shopping once per week. So they might need more space in their refrigerator. It really totally depends on the individuality of the client. Mm. You know, sometimes people do also take into consideration resale value and they want to make choices that are not too off the wall. And I would say the appliance choices do play into that, but I don't think anyone's going to complain about more refrigerator space. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, if the budget is there to get a 30 inch column fridge, it's just, it's so, it's so nice to have all of that extra space. But then again, it depends on it. Do it depends also on on what you want to invest in it. And I would say, you know, a freestanding refrigerator and just trying to get one that's as least bulky as possible is, you know, is a consideration for a lot of people. Yeah. So that's why I usually start with, you know, the but the budget. Right. Um, Sometimes people say they're going to spend twenty thousand on their kitchen remodel. And I have to tell them that I don't think there's any way they could do that. What What do you think that like the minimum? Obviously, there's no maximum or not really. What is the range, a realistic range of, of uh, kitchen budgets? It's hard to give a quick, concrete answer on that. Yeah. What I'll do is just talk about some of the different things that affect the budget. And I would say the biggest one is probably the labor in terms of the appliance choices, tile, whether or not you're going to stick with the existing windows or change it all, uh, that is somewhat in your control. Yeah. And hardware, lighting, uh, all of those things contribute to the budget. And there's, you know, a pretty wide variation of pricing for all of those elements. But especially in our area in the Northeast, cost of living is quite high and our builders are also have high cost of living. And so the, the labor is not inexpensive. It, it just, it sort of is what it is. And I always think that people are, when you're doing a kitchen to get a builder that has a really good finished carpenter, when you're installing the cabinets, if they have an installer who does the installation, someone who's used to installing kind of like taking a inexpensive piece of fabric and making a beautiful dress out of it because the seamstress is so good at her craft Mm. versus taking an expensive piece of fabric and bringing it down to the dry cleaner and expecting to get I mean the dry cleaner not nothing against dry cleaners they may be amazing seamstresses as well Mm -hmm. but um, it's a good metaphor to think about it that You can take something really great and sort of under the wrong hands, not make the most out of it. Right. And, you know, I I think the choice of builder is so important. And just, you know, getting someone who's 
conscientious, who has good subcontractors, cares about their craft, that is going to cost a little bit more. But I think it's the starting point of all other conversations. You know, I've worked on different projects and I've just, there's certain builders where you know that it's going to turn out amazing because they just care so much. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Um, I think you just want someone who, who cares about your house as much as you do. Um, and those people are definitely out there, but they may not be the budget option, you know? Right, right. Uh, so that's a big part. And then the other contributing factors to the budget are cabinets, appliances, countertops. Mm-hmm. In terms of countertop pricing, um, you know, there's definitely ways of of keeping keeping that within check. Um, and it's getting pricing on countertops is could probably be its own entire. Oh, yeah. We've had an episode on counters, countertops. Yeah. yeah. And there's yeah. each of these, actually, each of these questions, like the kitchen lighting or how to choose appliances or any of that, any of those could be their own episode, you yeah. know? So you, usually for countertops, if I'm trying to, you know, stick to a certain budget, if you can get a larger slab that you can get the whole kitchen out of one slab instead of having to go into a second slab, that helps. Mm-hmm. Um you know, different types of material. It used to be that engineered quartz was the budget route, but with tariffs and whatnot, that's not necessarily the case anymore. Yeah. So all of these elements factored together. I would say in my practice, the kitchens that I'm working on are be very difficult to do under 80,000. And most of them are probably more in the 120 to 150 range when you factor in the, the windows, the floors, the labor. Okay, good. I, of, I thought at first you were talking about 80000 for the countertop. So I was just going to no. live with my <laughs> old counter in that case. But we're going to take a break to talk about our sponsor for this episode, the National Council for Architectural Registration Boards, also known as NCARB. For those of you who don't know, NCARB's a nonprofit organization that's made up of the 55 licensing boards in the U.S. and its territories. So if you're a licensed architect, you would be going through NCARB at some point and also possibly have an NCARB certificate, which allows you to apply for reciprocal licensure in all the different states and jurisdictions. So they put out a survey called the Analysis of Practice Study, and it's your opportunity to shape the future of architecture. Honestly, if you're a licensed architect, why not just fill out this survey? I'm sure you've thought about these issues that they bring up in the survey quite a lot, and now's your chance. So whether you're an architect or you work with architects, NCARB wants to hear from you. So make sure your voice is heard. Go on over to ncarb.org slash AOP. That's N-C-A-R-B dot org slash A-O-P. Now back to our conversation. <laughs> so what's your favorite countertop to use? Putting price aside. I use quartzite a ton. I love quartzite. It's sometimes people hear it and they're not familiar with the term. They think quartz, like the engineered quartz. Mm-hmm. But Quartzite is from the earth. It's it's quarried just like marble or granite. Um, marble is quite porous and can stain as a result. It can also etch if um, you know if it comes in contact with acidic things like lemon juice. Mm-hmm. Qu- quartzite, by comparison, is a much harder stone, so it's not as prone to staining or etching. And 
you'll get the beautiful veining patterns. It won't ever be quite as white as a marble. Marble is metamorphized calcium and quartzite is metamorphized sandstone. No, didn't that know that. Sands, that sandstone is what makes it more durable and tougher, but it just it's never going to get quite as white as like a marble. And but it's it's so much more durable. Um, you'd still seal it for stains, but it's not going to etch as much. Hmm. I've done like experiments. I have quartzite countertops in my own kitchen. And I've done experiments to try to test the stain wear and tear and durability. My brother was doing his kitchen and they wanted to put in, um, they'd seen a beautiful slab of quartzite that they loved, but they were afraid to use it. So they were going to do engineered quartz. So I did an experiment in my own kitchen to try to convince them it would be okay. And what I did was I mixed up turmeric with, um, I created a turmeric paste, mm. essentially. Okay. Turmeric is one of those things that if you're going to get a stain, it's probably going to be from something like turmeric. Yeah, yeah. You're pretty brave, Karen. <laughs> I did it. I did it. In, I had a cabinet sitting on the countertop where I kept my my um, toaster oven inside of uh, there. Okay, like an appliance so, garage. So I wasn't as brave as okay. I sound like I might have been. <laughs> but I put it on there and I put four different spots on and I left one for like over an hour. I left one for like half an hour. Um, I left one for just it was there for a second and then I wiped it up. And then I, I wiped these with um, just a, a dry paper towel. And then I used like a clean, cleaning product mm -hmm. just to show him like the differences. All of the stains came out. Wow. Um, even the ones that were there for over an hour. Hmm. Um, and he was convinced he loves his countertops. And I'm super happy that, you know, that I was able to show him that. You probably can't do that same experiment successfully with marble. People really love marble. It's, you know, absolutely gorgeous. Um, but it, it's, if, if what you have to go into it is knowing yourself, are you going to, are you going to still love it in six months when it doesn't look like it did on the day it went in? Yeah. And, you know, you're the only one that can answer that question. So it's just, it's sort of just knowing the reality of the situation and knowing yourself. And, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't mind seeing the battle scars that come from, you know, a kitchen. I want to see all the little things that happened. Maybe that would be like called the Julia Child approach. Yeah. But other people say, I want it to look this beautiful in six months, in a year, and two years. And I would say, well, that's probably not the material for you then. Yeah. Um, so... Although I will say if someone really, really, really wants marble and they want it to be a little bit more adorable, then Danby marble from Vermont can be that particular material. Danby's a lot tougher than like a, an Italian marble. Mm. And, you know, it's it's something that you'd still have to go into knowing that it's it's going to age and it's going to wear. But like a honed or a leather Danby is probably a good place to start if you want it and you just have to have it, but you want it to have as many of the properties that will help it be durable over the long term. Okay. So. Well, I definitely want to touch on kitchen lighting, even though that's a bigger lighting discussion. 
Is there anything that you feel is essential for kitchen lighting? Well, there's different types of lighting, as you know. Um, there's task lighting, ambiance. Like task lighting might be considered under cabinet lighting where it's shining a light right down onto your countertops. Um, for under cabinet lighting, I would mount that to the front of the cabinet. Some, some builders will, if you're not like paying attention, the electrician will mount it toward the back of the cabinet so it's lighting the backsplash tile, which isn't yeah. really the point. Yeah, that's not helpful. No. So, you know, shining that light down on the middle of the countertop is really helpful. So there's usually a balance between recessed can lighting, under cabinet lighting, and then decorative lighting like pendants or chandeliers or, or what, whatever the size of the kitchen, the height of the ceilings. If there's an island, the size of an island. Um, I mean, in terms of decorative lighting, sort of the sky is the limit. Yeah. Um, with where you can go with that. But, you know, having some recess lighting that you can turn on that fills up space. I tend to not want them too close to like the refrigerator cabinet or like a tall cabinet, just because then it will create kind of like a scallop of light on it. Mm. If they're if they're far enough away, the lights, the cones of light sort of overlap away from an object and it just fills up the space instead of, you know, creating a shadow because it was too close to a corner or too close to a wall. If that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, people talk all the time about the kitchen triangle. Mm-hmm. And I know from our conversations previously that you have a different idea possibly of how, how that could work other than the traditional, which everybody's heard about kitchen triangle of like uh, between the appliances, sink, stove, and refrigerator. In case everybody hasn't heard about it, that's what it is. Yeah. I don't entirely discount the kitchen triangle, but what I really try to do instead is focus on the relationship of the refrigerator to the sink and then separately the sink to the cooktop or range. Hmm. So most of your time would be spent at the sink because it's where you prep generally, and it's also where you clean up. Mm -hmm. So the placement of the sink is really critical. Um, A lot of people want to either be looking out a beautiful bank of windows, or they want to be, you know, maybe facing, if the sink is on an island, they want to be facing their loved ones or the activity. But if, if you're walking too far from your refrigerator to your sink, that will make it Like, for instance, if you had your fridge on one side of the room and you had to walk all the way around the island to get from your sink to your fridge, that would probably not be an optimal layout. Your your refrigerator is where you're going to go and grab your items, your broccoli, your other things, strawberries, and then you'll go to the sink, wash them, cut them, prep them, and then you'll go to your range to cook them. So the refrigerator to range element isn't really all that important. You know, some other factors are where is your refrigerator? Is it close to where you're coming in with groceries? You know, can you make life a little easier to be able to walk in and unload things versus having it on? Not all homes obviously lend themselves to that, but if I'm looking at a layout and I can put the fridge a little closer to comings and goings, I generally try to do that. Hmm. So. So sort of locating 
the items close to where they're needed for cooking, prepping, cleanup, and storage yeah. versus sticking to a strict triangle. Right. Um, but, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. Because I guess the intent of the triangle is to provide adjacency, but if you have to do it differently, you just have to think about it a little bit differently, I guess. Yeah. So one last question, because I know that, as I said, each of these subjects could be a full podcast in itself. What are the differences in cabinetry style? So I know that there's overlay, inset, and it affects the price of cabinetry. Mm -hmm. So what's uh, what's the quick rundown of those? Um, so quickly, there's um, full overlay, and that can be with a face frame or without a face frame. Generally, I would suggest without a face frame if you're doing full overlay. It's also called frameless, mm -hmm. meaning there's no face frame. So the doors are mounted by a hinge to the sides of the cabinets. In that scenario, having a face frame is just going to interfere with the usability of the cabinet and eat up space. Mm -hmm. And then there's inset cabinetry, and that's where the doors and the drawers are flush with the face frame. Okay. Um, in New England, a lot of people favor inset cabinetry because it has kind of harkens to that older, you know, more old fashioned look. Inset cabinetry is more exacting to build and requires, um, I generally work, if I'm doing inset, I work with cabinet makers that that's mostly what they do versus, you know, if you're working with a cabinet maker that does mostly frameless and then you're asking them to do inset, it's probably not the best scenario. Mm. Um, it's just, you know, the, the gaps, the space between the drawer head and the face frame wants to be narrow enough that it looks, you know, intentional versus yeah. having a huge gap because it was easier to build. Um, right, right. And you can almost like sometimes you can almost see inside the cabinet that gap is so big. So one, a small enough gap that it looks like the rich, fine cabinetry that you are probably intending. And, and frameless is like, generally I'd use frameless if space were a consideration, if it's a smaller kitchen, because you do get more utility out of, out of that cabinet. Or I would, um, I would use frameless in a more modern or contemporary plan because it can, the inset does, as I mentioned, lend itself to a more old fashioned look. Right. Okay. Any final tips you would have for people? Just starting to think about their kitchen redesign. Um, I would say at the current time frame to not be in a hurry. Um, oh, that's a good because, one, Karen. Very good. Yeah. It's just between supply chain issues, you know, windows taking 20 weeks, appliances are sometimes taking up to a year. Start the planning earlier than you think and um, take your time and make sure to get it right versus being in a hurry. Yeah. And it's just, it being in a hurry, it just, it sort of put pressure on every situation from supply chains of various things you're going to put into the kitchen, the builder, the designer. And it's just right now, you know, it seems like everyone's renovating. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you, but I have just, you know, just a backlog of work to attend to. And it's, it's great, but it's, you know, it's also nice when people understand that it's going to take a while. Yeah. You know, setting up a nice temporary kitchen someplace else in the house will alleviate the strain. In some projects, the builder will set up even a, you know, they'll set up a temporary sink 
um, like in, in the dining room or in the living room or wherever the temporary kitchen is, that costs a little more. There's an expense to hooking up a sink that's going to then be dismantled, um, the piping and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But but, it's better than the bathtub, I can tell you. That yeah. gets really old. Yeah, yeah. Also, so it... so does takeout. I When we were doing our kitchen, the first kitchen renovation I did, I thought, oh, great, well, we can have takeout all the time. But that just, yeah. no, not no, for take, four months. Takeout gets old. I also renovated my kitchen when, it, when my kids were little. And fortunately, the bulk of it was during the summer. So we were using the grill. And I got really expert at making a full meal off the grill. Like I'd take, um, I'd take a sheet of tin foil and put um, parchment paper over it, put the vegetable in there with some water, scrunch it up, steam the veggies on the grill while the chicken's cooking. And, nice. um, you know, when you're, when you're sort of in it, you can find ways to yeah. be creative with your cooking and put out a nice meal and, um, you know, yep. Yeah. I guess paper plates are a thing, but maybe not the most environmentally. Yeah, not for the how long you're going to need them. So. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me, Catherine. I really appreciate it. Well, oh, thanks for coming yeah. on. If you ever want to come back, we have a lot more ground to cover, too. So let me know. I will. I will, for sure. Thank you. Thank you to NCARB for their support of this podcast episode. Visit ncarb.org slash AOP and contribute to the Analysis of Practice survey today. Thanks for listening. I hope you subscribe to this podcast. If you don't, please head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. And if you have time to write a review, that would be so helpful. Please contact me for any reason at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. I love to hear from people. You can also join my Facebook group, which is Talking Home Renovations Together. And I'm on there with a bunch of people who have also been on the show, have been guests on the show, and other architects and homeowners and contractors. And so we can just talk about whatever issues people might have right there in the Facebook group. If you're on Clubhouse, come join me 10 a.m. Eastern, Saturday mornings. There is so much information on my website, which is TalkingHomeRenovations.com. Head over there for transcripts, episode enhancements, other information. You want to be a guest, that's where you'll find that information, the application. This podcast is a member of Gable Media, which is the largest AEC network on the planet. Check out the other content on the network at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. This podcast is a production of my architecture firm, Demios Architects, where we believe architects are for everyone. Until next time, take care.